Hello and welcome to IoT at the Edge, the podcast for the industrial IoT practitioner, evangelist, and skeptic. In this podcast, we cut through all the marketing hype and technical babble to bring you insights and clarity on the industrial Internet of Things. Now, here's your host, Mike Farian. So welcome, everybody, to part two of a special four-part IoT at the Edge podcast, where we're going to do a, a deep dive into one of the most challenging digital transformation projects in North America and perhaps globally, and that is the modernization of our electrical grid. In part one, we talked a lot about how the landscape of power generation, transmission, and distribution has changed and, and the overall scope of that challenge. Well, in today's episode, we're going to start talking a little bit more about solutions, and specifically, we're going to dive into the topic of substation virtualization. So I've brought a couple of experts on board today to guide us through that discussion. So first, we have Phil Carey. Phil is now an independent consultant to the electrical industry, and he specializes in advancing the modernization of the grid. He's held many positions within Southern California Edison, and there he was responsible for the architecture and IT design of the grid control data center, as well as virtualization for field application. While he was there, he created the Common Substation Platform, or CSP, which is a virtual computing platform designed for electric substations. This work won awards within Southern California Electric, and was also part of the Digital Substation and, and Project Protection Relay Virtualization Project, which won the U.S. Department of Energy's Electric Industry Technology and Practices Innovation Challenge uh, Tier 1 Gold Award. So welcome, Phil, and thanks for joining us today. Good morning. And next, joining us through this four-part series is Prithpal Kajuriya. Prithpal is Intel's global segment leader for smart infrastructure and is globally recognized as a smart grid expert. So welcome back, Prithpal. Oh, thank you, Mike. Well, guys, I feel like I'm in extremely capable hands today uh, for a discussion on virtualization in substations. But maybe we kick off with Phil here with a little recap. And so before we jump into specific to virtualization, you know, Phil, with your deep roots in the industry, could you give us kind of a summary from your perspective on why grid modernization is so important? Well, there's a couple things, Mike. Um, first of all is consumer preference. Um, people out there want clean energy. Um, with all of the, the talk of uh, climate change and everything going on, um, that, that's a real consideration which has led states um, and other uh, entities like California to uh, initiate the renewable portfolio standard for electric utilities. And in California, that mandate is for 50% renewables by 2025, 60% by 2030, and leading up to 100% renewables by 2045. So that's a bit of a problem for the grid Right, the grid was designed for one-way flow of energy from big, you know, mass power stations that use rotating mass uh, that kept the grid stable by inertia. Right, you've got a big thing turning. If there's a disturbance, it wants to keep turning. So that's how the grid was basically stable. And then to uh, accommodate peak loads, there's peaker power plants around, which um, are mostly sitting idle, but when the power is needed, they can start up pretty fast uh, to provide that energy. Yeah. So as I said, the grid was designed for one-way flow of power from transmission through distribution to the end consumer. Well, that's changing now with the renewable stuff, solar, wind, a lot of that is coming in on the distribution network. 
Um, so that all has to be managed. Um, there's also batteries now that are both on the transmission side and the distribution side. Those need to be managed as well. A lot of these um, renewables are intermittent. Um, so when the wind is blowing, there's lots of power from wind. And when the sun is shining, there's lots of power from solar. But when a cloud goes over or the wind dies down, the power uh, power drops and it has to be made up from someplace and quickly. Um, so we need to have digital controls and intelligence out at the edge to be able to do this. Right. So, so what is the side effect? So let's say we, we don't do this and we continue down the path and we, we move to more of these transient power supplies. You know, what, what's the side effect that we all begin to see when, when the grid can't handle the, the, the change? So again, using California as an example, um, in the past few weeks, there's been a heat wave that's uh, engulfed pretty much of Western United States. California relies a lot on importing energy from neighboring states. And in this case, there was no energy to, to import. So California, Southern California, I think Northern California also resorted, excuse me, resorted to rolling blackouts mm -hmm. um, where they turn off the power to re reduce load uh, for up to an hour at a time for certain neighborhoods. That's the result. Does that extend, you know, so obviously that's inconvenient when it's residential, you know, your your ice cream melts in the fridge and, and things like that, but that starts to extend into industrial customers. I mean, the, the cost of that could be enormous, right? Yeah, so most industrial customers will have their own generation on site so they can okay. ride through uh, these rolling blackouts. Um, there's also in, in the law that creates the rolling blackouts, there's exceptions for uh, circuits that have hospitals or police stations, things like that. Uh, but, you know, it's more than inconvenience. Think about people that rely on oxygen to breathe. Mm -hmm. uh, when the power goes off, their oxygen generators aren't working anymore. Um, so, that, you know, that that's bad. Right. Well, I, I think that helps kind of you know, summarize the, the, the problem. And, and it's not too hard with the scale of the grid, you know, just whether you think nationally or uh, across the continent or globally, it's such a large system. It's easy to see the challenges there. Yeah, so, and, and, you know, Mike, there's one more thing that just happened in the last few days, and that is that Governor Newsom of California just signed an executive order that will curtail the sales of gasoline or diesel-powered cars and trucks by 2035. I know today the grid can't handle everybody having electric cars, so now there's going to be even a bigger push towards grid modernization to get the grid ready to handle all this electric vehicle charging that's going to come up starting in 2035. Yeah, when you look and then you look at again the, the scale of the system, that is not very many years when you start working backwards and from a you know, technology and, and project management, construction, you know, funding. Um, that, that's that's going to rush up really quickly, right? So let's talk about solutions then. So today we're going to really focus in on virtualization. Um, so maybe before we dive into to deep into virtualization for uh, for the grid, we should talk about what does virtualization really mean. Um, so Prithpal, do you want to take a first crack at, at kind of telling us what virtualization is, what it does for us? Yes, uh, Mike. So I will try to simplify it 
in a virtualization in very simple ways, a piece of software which is added on the top of the hardware so that all the applications and running on the top of it are totally independent of the hardware. They can migrate from one hardware to another hardware without knowing what is underneath or we can add more hardware resources or compute power to add more applications. So that is the flexibility this software gives. Your infrastructure can grow seamlessly as the need arises, you know. And I think I always compare it with the data center world. Think about that. Every time if we have to add an application in the data center, somebody has to develop a custom hardware test and certify that custom hardware, put application on the top of it, and put that thing in, in a data center. The growth which we have seen in the digital commerce would have not happened if we have gone in that approach. And I think no, similarly, if we see the virtualization coming into the utility world and as the foundation laid out by Phil, that what infrastructure is required and why it is required required going forward, we cannot scale it up by going the old ways. That is why we need this virtualization layer so which can help us to build that scalable infrastructure which can grow as our needs grow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I think of one analogy that I've, I've used before. If, if you think of what, uh, you know, it's really about getting away from dedicated appliances, right, and getting to open architectures. And, and I think of, you know, I think 20 years ago when you went out to a, a club and there was a DJ there and that DJ would have a truckload of equipment, you know, all of all those media content and mixers and amplifiers and speakers and, and all these things. And, and today, you, I, I was at a uh, club back uh, at a, a restaurant here, uh, you know, back when we could do those sorts of things. And in the corner, there was a, a guy um, playing music, and he was doing it off his Android device and a small amplifier. And that's all he had along with the, the speaker. And, and he was able to, you know, essentially he's virtualized all these applications, and he had total control of being able to, to do things off this one open platform device. So a huge reduction in the amount of hardware. Uh, required just by moving to open architecture platforms and getting away from dedicated appliances. Exactly, Mike. And that drives the innovation when things become software defined. So that is basically driving the innovation. More players can participate into it and people can innovate faster and accelerate the adoption of technology. Yeah. So, 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 Phil, can you tell us you know, what does that look like in a substation? It's easy for me to picture what it looks like in the you know in the the corner of the pub with the the DJ. But tell us about <laughs> things in the substation that we could virtualize. Well, the substation has uh, a few devices. There's um, generally called IEDs or um, boy, what does IED stand for? Um, intelligent, intelligent electronic, electronic device. device <laughs> intelligent ele- Well, I had a little brain misfire there for a second. Yeah, an intelligent electronic device, um, typically relays that are used for multiple purposes. I mean, there's different kinds of relays depending on what you're trying to do. Um, But I mean, that's essentially it, the relays. Um, Relays are there for protection purposes. So if a fault is detected, 
the relay will uh, interrupt the power. Uh, it'll send a message to the, the you know, the transformer to, to, or the circuit breaker to open up. Um, and then uh, also used for switching purposes, um, such as if there's going to be maintenance done on a circuit or a circuit breaker, uh, they can do switching to route the energy around where the maintenance is going to be. Um, so that's essentially it, the relays. Um, and um, I mean, there's other devices too for you know measuring the power quality, um, measuring voltage, amperage, you know, power flow, things like that. Uh, typically, though, done in the relay. Okay. And is there also there's a control device also that commands these relays, or do they all have independent intelligence? So for protection, they have independent intelligence. So they're monitoring the voltage and the current flow. And if something goes out of parameter, then they'll send a trip command. But for switching and control, that's typically done from today, from the data center, from the energy management system. Um, so it's done remotely hmm. for both of that. Okay. Yeah, Mike, I think what uh, I just add to what Phil's saying, in a substation, we can classify kind of a two pieces. One is the automation piece and other is that protection and control, okay? So if we define in a, in a simple way, automation means command and control. Things are, commands are sent from the control center and then they go and execute it. And whereas protection and control is an autonomous system, it looks for the anomalies into the power system and based on the anomalies, what kind of anomaly it is, as Phil mentioned, the fault is one of them. And then based on that, they will take the corrective action, you know, and basically open and close things and resolve that uh, the anomaly. And hopefully they can put things back and the, the grid can't power continues, you know, flowing through it. So that, that's how it is. And these two functions are critical piece to the substation operation. As Phil mentioned, that we have this electrical infrastructure coming up. On one side, we have distributed renewable coming. and other side, we have a batteries and electric cars are coming. And all these things are creating a total new dynamics in the power grid management. And going forward, we need to rethink how we're going to manage, maintain, and operate the power grid. And I think that is where this new infrastructure comes into play, where we virtualize all these applications and build two separate systems as per the rules defined today, one for automation, and which Phil has driven that uh, discussion around the world uh, called Common Substation Platform, okay, which virtualizes all those functions in the automation piece along with IT applications, security applications. And then on the other side, we are working on basically virtualizing all protection and control devices into a stack of servers and have these two independent servers systems operate and I know Phil Phil knows a lot about them. I'd like him to add some ideas about the architecture here, you know. Yeah, so the, the automation system is what I was had been working on for many years. Um, and one of the things, I mean, a couple of things happen. First of all, when you virtualize the automation systems, um, you decouple the refresh cycle 
from the hardware and the software. Like today, uh, if we go to do a refresh of relays at a substation, that can take over a year because all the hardware has to be replaced. We have to make sure that all the wiring is correct. Um, we have to make sure that the function is correct and all the settings in the relays are correct for each circuit. Each circuit has different relays because there's different requirements uh, for power flow and you know things of that nature. By virtualizing now, we can have a set of hardware that is in place and we're free now to refresh and add new functions to the software that's riding above it. Then when it comes time that that hardware needs to be replaced, we can do that replacement without disturbing the software running on top of it. So that that's a, a key enabler for vir or that virtualization brings to the substation. The other thing is that by putting in a virtual system that can accept and has capacity to run many different um, schemas and you know new ideas, we give the the engineers to the freedom to think about what can we do differently um, with this new technology that we couldn't do before with a monolithic hardwired infrastructure. So, so you can certainly see where the flexibility is is hugely in, enhanced and and manageability. But let, let's talk a little bit about cost because we're we're talking about such a huge infrastructure. So, to really win everybody over, you know, I assume that you know there's not a huge pile of new money necessarily available. You know, maybe maybe there is to some degree, but it, those are usually hard to come by. So, so what does virtualization mean from like an opex perspective and and from a capex perspective? Well, from a CapEx perspective, there is expense there. And today it is quite expensive because it's unicorn technology, right? It's not widely out there and available. Um, as more and more utilities start deploying this technology, though, I think the cost will go down you know, capital expense-wise. Operational expense, though, from day one installing this, I think that we lower the operational expense because there's a lot of function that we can do remotely now. So we don't have to roll a truck and send a crew out to the substation to replace a piece of software or upgrade something. We can put in the proper safeguards and you know safety protocol to be able to do these things remotely. There's a huge cost savings there. Um, the other thing is today, you know, we have a lot of cybersecurity concerns and a lot of the equipment that's out in the substation is pretty much installed and then, you know, so set and forget, right? We right. install it, we test it, we make sure it's working and we don't want to touch it because it's working. And unless we have a major change in load on a circuit, there's really no reason to go out there and change the settings. So when things like cybersecurity patches come up because a vulnerability is discovered in a certain type of relay, those patches typically do not get installed because it's very expensive and disruptive to send a crew out to do that. Hmm. With this virtualization technology and the software overlay, we can now, again, with the proper safety protocols, install and test this remotely. Yeah, so Mike, I'd like to add into what Phil said, rephrasing or kind of adding my thoughts in it. 
by going in the virtualized world, the first thing happens, you standardize the hardware. Okay, that's the first thing. So what is the current option? Buy five different boxes from five different vendors. Okay, so you eliminate that. You don't have to keep the spares and in stuff, you know. So you have a standard hardware. Then the next step is you are enhancing security and manageability. As Phil pointed out, new vulnerability shows it is very difficult to roll a truck from substation to substation. You don't need to because you can upgrade all that stuff virtually, you know. You can have the old, for example, old application running there. You create a new application in a virtual machine and test it, validate it, whatever time. And one day you turn off the old one and turn on the new one, okay? It's just on and off or pause the one and let it be sit there in the virtual environment. It is sitting there. You have a new application running. It's just a click of a mouse, you know. You don't have to roll yeah. any tr trucks. So that is the that enhancing security and manageability, you know, provides. And then going back to what Phil said, uh, basically reduction. In other way, we can say the reduction in capital expense because you don't have to keep those spares and individual boxes anymore, custom hardware, fixed feature function devices. So you reduce your capital investment from that perspective because you have a standardized hardware now. And the last one thing is that basically reducing your operational expenses. Most of the work which we have done with few utilities and we have seen up to 76% reduction in operational and maintenance cost. This is the initial, you know, the date initial work which we have done. Of course, we have to do a large scale deployments, capture more data. That's how what we have found so far. So based on that, I think this is the way it looks like we need to go uh, going forward in enhance and build this flexible infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's no question when you when you step back and look at just the uh, the, you know, the technology maturity path, you know, the, the path we're on is we, we need to move the complexity out of the hardware and standardize the hardware and move it into the software, which is something we can manage in, uh, and manage remotely and, and grow in a flexible fashion. Uh, and I certainly know um, on Advantech side, we've been doing a lot of R&D investment in in developing edge compute hardware specifically for you know that substation environment, so so getting standardized you know open architecture hardware out there for that environment is, is exactly really, my you know. just like just would like to hope that Intel and Advantech have been working together to build this next generation rugged infrastructure for substations, which is basically compliant to IEC sixty one eight fifty dash three class two in NC1613. Uh, and Phil has been the leader in showing the Intel and the ecosystem that what utility needs are and how they should build this uh, hardware infrastructure. Phil, will you like to add something more into it? Well, <clears throat> one of the things that we need to be conscious of when we do this is that we have a, a workforce out there that doesn't understand what we're trying to do. Um, the, the testament and the linemen that are out there have been working for years on the existing technology. 
Um, one of the things that I found at SCE when I started talking about this technology was, um, you know, fear in the eyes of some of the engineers, um, right? Because I was changing their world, um, coming in and telling them, you know, we can do this, this differently and put in this new technology. Um, we have to educate. We have to show that this works. And um, I think we can do that. Um, there's been a couple pilots around the world um, that has installed technology. I know that there's a couple of big ones going on right now. And um, I think this is viable and something that we really need to look at in order to get to where the industry needs to go. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great point because even when you have a slam dunk in technology, um, you know, it's it becomes also a, a change management. And especially when you get into conservative industries and very understandably conservative industries mm -hmm. um, to say, hey, you know, reliability is is important here. Uh, it's not just important, it's it's um, mission critical and, and safety critical. Right. So, and I think the mindset yeah. of a power engineer was is that if the way that I did it last week worked and everything was safe, that's the way I want to continue to do it because I know it works. Right, right. But but certainly we can see, you know, as, as we kind of recapped here and in, also in the first episode that the you know, that the, the grid is in such a state or the demands on the grid are in such a state of change that, um, you know, it's quite the, it's a, it's a challenge because yeah, you, there's a whole, a huge ecosystem, I'm sure of, of people that need to get on board with this. And, and like you say, education is probably one of the key parts. And then, and, and then certainly in conservative industries, it's gotta be a show me, you know, you can't just say, okay, now we're going to go roll this out nationwide. So you need to go through proof of concept and pilot and, and field test and, and scale, um, and then bring the workforce along. Exactly, Mike, and that's what we Intel says, the partnership with the utilities, we call it collaborate, innovate, and accelerate. So we work with the utilities, set up this partnership, and how we work together, okay, in this collaboration scheme, we get together, understand the problem, develop the common reference architecture together, go prove that architecture, capture the value of it. And I think that's what will lead to the transformation in the industry. Yeah, yeah. So, so let me challenge you both here a little bit because, you know, just we opened with some of the comments around, um, you know, some of the requirements in California. Uh, and certainly California has been leading the way in the North American market or the U.S. market in terms of renewables and distributed energy sources. But are we moving fast enough? Um, you know, Phil, you commented even today with with um, you know short term conditions, we're seeing rolling blackouts into residential areas at least. You know, what's how are we doing in your view and in, in each of your views on the the pace of of change here and change management and um, you know deploying, validating and then deploying this this technology? Gosh, I think not so good. Um... You know, there's there's one utility in the West that um, I've heard has projections that if they use their entire workforce to replace their infrastructure, that what are their 50 years out in in getting it uh, getting the work done, uh, just because the sheer volume and the you know the testing that's required. So I, I don't think we're doing really good right now. Interesting. Prithal, from your, your perspective? Yeah, yeah I think, uh, Mike, the way I think is it is a snowball, which is more renewables we add, 
this snowball is becoming bigger and bigger and it is coming on us in it's coming on us the fast and with the, the electrical car infrastructure coming in the demand for electricity is going to quadruple and then our infrastructure is not ready i think a uh, time is to start working together and partnering together in and you know start proving these things going back to that intel strategy of collaborate innovate and accelerate let's collaborate together where the the re- regulators legislators utilities in the ecosystem the technology companies we all need to come together to build this next generation infrastructure and take our world to more sustainable future in right right so it seems like there's a danger of you know so you know Phil you opened with you know people want you know that the market wants um, green energy and and we we like the idea of renewables and getting off a of carbon based um you know energy sources but is there a danger it seems like there's a danger that our infrastructure is going to start dragging us down a bit here and you're and maybe we're seeing the leading edge of that in California right now yeah you you are already seeing it we we certainly need to accelerate the digitization of the control systems um, at, out in the substations in order to make this work. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think, Mike, what another phrase which uh, I use is called a carbon-aware grid. Okay, <laughs> So we need to digitalize what uh, Phil said. We need to digitalize the infrastructure so we can collect more data at the edge. We understand how much energy is coming from where, balance it, balance it, and so we can move forward in a sustainable fashion. Yeah, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. You know, and the other thing that jumps to mind too is it's so you know we always frame up the future and the, the reference that we're comfortable with today. So, so like Phil, you mentioned that. Uh, um, utility that's had, you know, 50 years to, you know, with their current workforce, but it's possible when we look at, you know, once we really do this right and say, okay, now we have a digital substation, we can de- deploy that. Um, and I'm speaking maybe from a slight position of ignorance here, so I gotta be careful, but, you know, technology 50 years from now is not going to be where it is today. So is it possible? Will our, our rate of change of acceleration, not of just being able to design these things, but deploy and, and maintain these will be really enhanced by technology. So what, what takes, um, you know, 50 man years of, of labor and effort today, you know, is that going to be reduced by 2x or 5x, you know, over the next five to 10 years, because we've, we've turned a substation into a, uh, you know, a, a digital uh, footprint with, you know, of course, you still have a lot of electrical infrastructure that's not going away. Um, but the whole control structure maybe becomes much faster and the wiring infrastructure and things like that. Um, you know, in the local control booth and, and things, maybe that helps accelerate the, uh, the the path. Well, I wish it was that easy because, <laughs> um, you know, there's the first time we go in and change the technology from the current monolithic technology to this new virtualization technology, there's a lot of work that has to be done, right? Right now, there's big bundles of wire that come from the equipment in the switchyard into the control building and all has to be wired. Well, all that wiring has to go someplace. So there's a device called a merging unit that would be out in the uh, the switchyard 
next to the equipment, that all has to be wired. And then we need to run fiber optic cable into the control building for this new virtual infrastructure. So that's a lot of work in itself. But once that's done, now we're in the new ball game where um, changes can happen quickly. Um, so, you know, it, it's a little of both. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that makes makes sense. And like, once that step happens, as Phil laid out, the next step is the the innovation in software jumps in. What mm. we start doing is that we start aggregating, normalizing all the data in the substation. Okay, at in a single platform. Now the next generation technologies like AI, you know, based machine learning, deep learning, those technologies kick in and we start start extracting more intelligence of the data, things which we are not aware of today, you know, start looking at the data from a different perspective. Okay. And I think that is going to drive the more innovation and create the solutions for the problems which we are not aware today. Yeah, that, well, that's a great point. And also, you know, it's a great opportunity just to interject and say, you know, everybody should stay tuned for our next couple episodes of this, you know, podcast mini series. So our next episode, we're going to focus on security and manageability at scale, uh, which we talked about a little bit today. We'll do a deep dive there. But then the final episode, we're going to do a deep dive into exactly what you're talking about there, Paul, is the, the analytics. You know, how do we get from the descriptive analytics to the predictive analytics and prescriptive analytics that all this newfound data can can bring to the table. Um, so, this, so that'll be an interesting discussion for sure. So you know, I just encourage everybody to stay tuned for the next couple episodes of this, this series. So, so we could probably wrap this one up. And certainly, I, guys, I appreciate both your time here. And, and even bigger picture, I really appreciate all the, the work that you're doing to help uh, evangelize and promote and advance uh, what needs to be done here out in the, the, the grid. Um, so with that, um, you know, Phil, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, utilities or whoever it might be that wants to help advance their position uh, in this, uh, how do they get in touch with you and your consulting practice? Well, uh, my email is phil, P-H-I-L, at carryconsultingservices.com. Um, I tried to make it longer, but I couldn't get any more letters. Uh, <laughs> again, I'll say it again, phil at carry, C-A-R-E-Y, consultingservices with an S dot com. Perfect. And Prithpal, if somebody wants to engage with yourself and Intel and on the program? Sure. They can reach out to me, prithpal.kajuria at intel.com. And we'll be happy to work with them and educate them on this next generation uh, architecture for substation market. Fantastic. Well, well, Phil and, and Prithpal, thanks you so much for joining me today. It's been a, a great discussion. I look forward to the, the rest of the episodes and, and working uh, in, in partnership with you both as we uh, try to advance uh, uh, you know, the, the world with this, this challenge. My pleasure, Thank Mike you. and Prithpal. Thank you for listening to this episode of IoT at the Edge. Be sure and subscribe. And as always, for more information on Advantech's industrial IoT solutions, Point your web browser to advantech.com.